0: good morning and uh, a glorious Lord's Day to each of you. What a beautiful spring-like day that God has given us here. And we're fortunate to even be in the auditorium this morning because the power's been off for hours. And about seven o'clock this morning, the power came. And, uh, And I'm hoping that the power of the Lord comes here this morning as well. And for those of you that are part of our growing online family, a shout out to you. We love you. And uh, we wish you were here with us today. Well, we return now this morning. Uh, Last week we had a wonderful service where we took an opportunity to uh, look at the importance of the local church on our uh, I Love My Church Sunday. Today we're returning back to the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to end up being uh, quite a few sermons because uh, in order to give uh, due justice to this message, uh, Jesus can say it a lot quicker and better than I can for sure. But I think it uh, bears looking at. This morning, frankly, is not a pleasant subject you know, as we talk about moral impurity. But I think, uh, and I'm so grateful that Jesus took time out all those years ago. He said, folks, <laughs> he's looking at that group. He said, we've got to deal with some real life issues here. These are not pie in the sky philosophies. These are, these are issues where we all live and temptations, and situations that our lives are dealt with. And so this morning is uh, number 10 in our series, as we're going through this uh, Sermon on the Mount, here in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, heart adultery is just as destructive as physical adultery. Why are so many people today trapped in moral impurity? The fact of the matter is, immorality is rampant. Polls uh, say one-third of American American adults admit to having at least one extramarital affair. Experts estimate that those numbers are actually uh, low. The reality is probably much higher. And if you factor in what some have called emotional infidelity, the numbers would skyrocket. It's been on an ever escalating incline for years now, and the growing availability of internet has only made things worse, exponentially so. In fact, they say as many as one in 10, and when you take the size of our country, that is millions, one in 10 internet users actually are addicted to cybersex, not just visit a site of which that number is huge. Impurity, frankly, is destroying the families and the marriages of America. American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers reports that 56% of divorces cases involve one party who has an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Chat room, instant messaging, sexting is absolutely and so much more is everywhere. There is a diminished trust among spouses, which is common today, a false belief that is pervasive, that marriage is sexually confining, it has been so much part of what people think and wrongly so. A normal attraction that a man or a woman might have towards their mate and their family is, being, uh, is waning as people get this kind of weird uh, concept about the idea of sex. Now, why is it so prevalent. Well, one reason I'm convinced of is because people have a very narrow sense of what adultery is. And frankly, that's not much different than it was 2000 years ago. And that's why Jesus took time out in this message. And frankly, uh, I'm really surprised, but our Lord is an evangelist uh, per excellence. He knows what people are dealing with. And so he stops here and he says, let's talk about some serious issue. We're going to talk about the subject of immorality. Sometimes people uh, get involved simply because of the thrill of it. Other times people consciously or not are trying to get back at their mate for something he or she did to hurt them. Other times it's just a friendship that's come out of control. Still others, uh, It's a spouse that didn't live up to expectations that we might have, and so we start romanticizing a relationship that we might have at work or something. Still others are just self-medicating. I mean, their life is in so much pain, maybe their work or their finances or their health or whatever, and so they just uh, medicate themselves by the use of an affair or pornography or cyber sex or something, but it only makes matters worse. This whole sexualizing of a society is out of control. All this talk the last couple of years of a pandemic, I will tell you the real epidemic this morning is the shamelessness, the absolute shamelessness of our media and our public schools and businesses, especially clothing and the music industry towards young men, young women, even children. of children under the age of 13 report to have seening pornography. Our Lord, 2,000 years ago, said this is not a minor issue. This must stop. It will destroy our society if we don't get this under control. Our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, our family health, all of that and more. It is Damaging to the very sanctity of marriage, and it is tearing apart the fabric of our society. We have got to do something about this. And so Jesus said, Let me clarify this issue of adultery for you. It's far bigger, far deeper than you might imagine. And so uh, we are going to trust our Lord to give us the real information on this subject. Unpleasant, but very needful. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, I thank you. Lord, I would much rather preach another message, much rather. I'd rather preach on heaven, Lord. My heart is heavy, and yet, Lord, uh, I know that I am to be a faithful pastor. And, Lord, I would be, uh, I would, I would, might as well just quit the ministry, Lord, if I would not preach your word clear. And, uh, Lord, I trust lovingly, but, Lord, clearly. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd give me the words to say and the right spirit, and I pray that this church, Lord, would receive it as though it were from you. As far as I know, Lord, everything I'm going to be saying is a thus saith the Lord, and so may we receive it as such. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 27, 28, 29, and 30 out loud. I think that's very helpful to get our minds wrapped around the subject. All right, uh, we read from the King James Version, sometimes known as the Authorized Version. If you don't have that on your phone, I'm sure you can get it real quick, or you can follow along here on the screens. All right, let's uh, read it out loud, and it's healthy, I think, to say it out loud. All right, ready to begin. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, I am praying that you will get this. I'm not going to be able to talk about every specific detail of these verses, but I'm going to give it a good shot, and so I'm asking you to listen closely. Now, as you piece together the gospel synopsis, the narrative, we get a sense that This was likely a very late spring day about 2,000 years ago. This is not some parable. This is a real happening. This is a biographical moment. This is a real thing that happened. About 2,000 years ago, on a Galilean hillside, overlooking that sea, as it's known, a big giant lake, Jesus was telling his inner circle, that focus group of his known as the disciples there were likely hundreds that had gathered there in addition to his disciples, maybe thousands. There was certainly room for thousands. The Bible does say specifically for some reason, letting us know that Jesus spoke loudly, maybe because he wanted his disciples to know this is serious business, or maybe because there were hundreds, yes, thousands of people. The more Jesus spoke, the more the words came out of his mouth, the more these things kind of poured forth, the more the people were thinking, this is a really, this is a, a whole new ball game here. In that moment, as that sermon went on, the insights were so fresh, they began wondering, wow, this, this is some kind of a rabbi. This is, this is an amazing teacher. Perhaps this is the Messiah. And in fact, Jesus said, what I'm talking about is doing life the kingdom way, the Bible way, God's way. It seemed so different, in fact, radically different of the religion of the day. So Jesus even addresses that unsaid question that was going on in their mind a few verses earlier than our verses here. And he said, you know what your problem is? The standards of our society have fallen so low and strange enough, you think they're so high. You think they're high because of these religious false teachers, these fake religionists. Jesus didn't pull any punches. He said, but they have got it all wrong. What I'm talking about is getting back to the Bible. When Jesus said, when Jesus When God said, thou shalt not commit adultery, do you think that all he had in mind was this one little narrow slice where it's a married person having the physical act of marriage with another person? Do you really think that's all he was talking about? No, there is so much more to that whole issue. And he said, we need to get back to the Bible. In fact, in verse 17 of this chapter, he said, I have not come to destroy the law. Folks, never... Listen to crazy people who say that we no longer have to go by the law of God. They are, that is a false concept, and these are false teachers who say that. He is saying that the old time teachers, not Bible, but these religious teachers, they are absolutely off base, and in fact, what they are teaching is terrorizing our country, It is destroying the faith, and it is destroying family. And so today, he said, I want you to know that God has a far different concept about adultery that is being applied today, that people are thinking today, and I know you think the standard's way up here, but I'm telling you, it is so much different than what you're imagining. And so, let's look at it. First of all, the command expressed, verse 27, the command expressed. If we are going to live God's way, then we need, first of all, a full understanding. Let's look at verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now let's remind ourselves, this kind of thinks back what uh, he has said a couple of times now already in this sermon. When it says, uh, you have heard it said in old times, he's not talking about Moses. He's not talking about people who preach the Bible. He's talking about traditions that have been passed down by false religion. Years and years of spinning a false narrative, many times just to cover up their own wrongdoing, these lies had become accepted now as normal practice. Lies told often enough become mainstream. Are you listening? Similar to today. The shift, for example, in public opinion about the immoral action of same-sex marriage. According to social scientists, they said the shift in public opinion about same-sex marriage is unlike any other in the history of America. Only 50 years ago, folks, they were actually, some people that were doing that were serving jail time. Today, there's virtually no restraints on any type of sexual behavior. They can serve openly in any business, any government position. In fact, we even had one run for president here this past year. Sadly, even in the evangelical church, support for same-sex marriage has grown. In 2004, 11%, which I didn't understand, but 11% of evangelicals supported same-sex marriage. In 2019, 29%. They have asked sociologists, what in the world changed this such a fast changing, taking a lie, which we know it to be, and accepting it as mainstream truth? They say a couple of things have happened. Number one, the growing visibility of gay people in pop culture, people like Ellen, Will and Grace, they called it the contact hypothesis. The more contact people have with people in that way, the more they begin to accept it as mainstream. And if they get a message from someone who's in their in-group, maybe an athlete, maybe a politician, or even pastors who come out and say that, yeah, it's perfectly fine. And then when same-sex marriage was legalized, that just put a stamp of legitimacy on it. In fact, political scientists, Robertson, Dr. Robertson says this, he says just five years ago, it would have been okay for most any pastor to say homosexuality is a sin and that God calls it abomination. He said today, you would be hard pressed to find any major evangelical leader who would say that publicly. Well, let me reassure you today There are still many evangelical pastors who still believes that what the Bible calls sin is still sin. And I am unashamedly one of those pastors, I will tell you. Now, having said that, I will hasten to add, homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin. And we need to know that. It's like any other sin. It can be forgiven And washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I will say there is another evangelical who believes that that sin is sin. And that is the original evangelical, Jesus Christ. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are the words of our evangelical, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that word adultery needs to be looked at. It's a simple word, really. It is a well-known word. And yet even today, if you were to just ask the question, and probably not a question many people want to ask, but if you were to ask that question and people were to open up and you were to ask them, what is the definition of adultery? The fact of the matter is that definition would be all over the map. Typically, people say it is the physical act of adultery Between a uh, married couple, they stray and they go out and they have this physical act with someone other than their mate. And that's typically what people would say. And that would be at least part of the definition. The actual English word comes from the word which we get for adulterate. To adulterate something is to render something poorer in quality by adding another substance. You have two substances and you put an inferior substance with it. That degrades it. That adulterates it. In Scripture, the, adult, the word adultery is in addition to the physical sexual relationship with somebody else's spouse. Yes, but far more than that. Bible scholars say that actually it means so much more than that. It has been used in Scripture to mean seducing a male or a female, unmarried, or married. In other places, it's translated harlotry. It actually then is to be used for any illicit sexual relationship. What is illicit? Illicit sex is any sex outside of the bond of marriage. That is what our Lord is referring to. Now, why is he referring to it in this message? Why did he take time out? Why didn't he just stick with the gospel? Because our Lord cares about marriages. He cares about families. He cares about society. He cares about the stuff that we really go through. And he's saying, look, this is not going to help you. This affair, this stuff you're doing, it's going to destroy. And so let me give you four types of adultery as found in scripture. Number one, emotional adultery. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 14, here Solomon warns the mouth or the verbal enticements of a strange woman. And you got to know that any time in the Bible it's talking, when Solomon's talking about this, he's not just saying it has to be a biological female. He's meaning a male as well. The mouth, the enticements of a strange man or woman is a deep pit, meaning it's very hard to crawl out of a deep pit. They are so attractive. They are so, uh, they can just so uh, deceive you that you must be careful. He that is abhorred of the Lord or people that choose to live in that lifestyle will have to suffer the consequences from God. Some feel as though they're not unfaithful as long as they simply don't carry out the physical act. But wise Solomon says the mouth can clearly cross the line into adultery. It's not just a physical act, it is emotional. Atlanta psychiatrist Dr. Frank Pittman says most affairs are conducted primarily on the telephone or on the internet rather than in bed. The essence of an affair is establishing a secret intimacy with somebody, a secret that must be defended with dishonesty he said this, and I thought it was an insightful saying, infidelity isn't necessarily about who you lie with, but who you lie to. Every illicit affair always has dishonesty in it. Not only is there emotional adultery, but there is spiritual adultery. In Jeremiah chapter three, in verse number six, the weeping prophet said, and I saw when for all the causes whereby back Sliding Israel committed adultery. Now, throughout Scripture, God gives many instances of uh, spiritual adultery. For example, he talks about idolatry being spiritual adultery. He talked about going after other gods and the philosophies of other gods as being spiritual adultery. And in fact, even in the New Testament, covetousness is listed as spiritual adultery. And so when any person goes after a false God, a false Jesus, when someone goes into false religion, it is spiritual adultery. Adultery is far more than just that physical act. It's emotional. It can be spiritual. And number three, it can be mental. Mental or with the eye gate. Second Peter chapter two and verse 14, he talks about eyes that are full of adultery. Now, I need to clarify something here. Uh, Eyes that are full of adultery, we're not talking about noticing something about someone of the opposite sex or for the same sex, for that matter. Noticing, for example, what gender they are or noticing they have a nice clothing on or noticing the color of their eyes or noticing the color of their hair. Lusting is far different than noticing. Noticing and lusting are not the same. Lusting is dwelling. Lusting is uh, seeing that person as an object and not an eternal soul. It is getting some sort of sexual gratification by dwelling, by lusting. Then there is a fourth part of adultery in Scripture, and that is actual adultery. And that is actually seen in Scripture in a wide range of things. Basically, it is any illicit intimacy. What is illicit? Outside of the covenant bond of marriage. Now, without getting too graphic here, frankly, you could just run down a very long list, but it's so disgusting. I just, frankly, uh, don't want to do it. I would say, however, that uh, pornography, cyber uh, sex, um, transitioning, and on and on. I will, however, give you the Bible listing. And these are sexual sins as found in scripture and as given to us in the wonderful King James Version. You can look them up. You can get a full explanation of them. But let me just give them to you. I'll just broadcast them out. You can get the message. You can get the podcast and you can, uh, if you want further explanation. But here's the Bible list that would include things that are considered adultery. Uncleanness, fornication, lasciviousness, lust, effeminacy, abusers of themselves with mankind, wickedness, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, going after strange flesh, vile affections, chambering, wantonness, harlotry, working that which is unseemly, whoremongering, evil thoughts, things against nature. Now that is not a complete list, but it's a pretty good sized list. Those are all the things that would comprise adultery. Now that we've had a full understanding of what it is, let's see how that the Pharisees had sold, uh, sold a bill of goods to these people and they had a false undertaking. The Pharisees, these false teachers, And their religion, they had this constant false narrative. They were lying. Like I said, you tell a lie long enough and it burns you suit, it becomes mainstream. And they had a planned deception. Notice what it says, by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Their false reasoning was, as long as you're not committing the actual act with someone outside of your marriage, then everything else is good. Because God does not look at the heart. But oh, we humans, we're so broken by sin. We have the ability to lie about everything. In fact, we even lie to ourselves about what sin is. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 44, that that is satanic. Satan is the father of all lies. And if he can get us to believe a lie, he can get us to sin. Did you know that it is a scientific fact that we see what we want to see? These people were there saying, hey, if that's not sin, then everything's peaches and cream. It's all good. The optic nerve, they tell us, is the only nerve that goes direct to the brain. Everything else kind of takes a meandering route. But the optic nerve is the only one that goes directly to the brain. But there's something interesting about the optic nerve. Did you know that more signals come from the brain to the eye than from the eye to the brain? That means that the brain is telling the eye what it's seeing. It may not even be real, but the brain is telling the eye what is actually happening. So you can put four people at an accident and each of them will see something different. That is a natural human trait, but combined with a sin nature, folks, that allows us to rationalize, to explain away, and to condone any kind of sin. These Pharisees were saying, it's not sin. (laughs) No, it's not. No, 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 no. Because it's not the physical act, and they'll say this, and they'll say that. Jesus talked about these guys in Luke chapter 18. He said, these false teachers... These guys are changing wives like they change socks, and they don't even care. They don't care that this is absolutely adultery. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verse number 11, one of the Pharisees stood, and of all things, he stands up and says, well, I'll tell you one thing, I am certainly glad that I'm not an adulterer. Really? Wow. Just because you hadn't done this one specific little narrow slice of an action, he could say... His brain was telling his eye, yeah, that's fine. That's not what you're doing. It's kind of like the Egyptian guy that fell out of his boat. He was in denial. <laughs> All right. Number one, the command express verse 27. Now our Lord has laid out the meat. Let's get now to the gravy. The command explained, verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, there is something about the words of Jesus that had captured the people. I mean, of course, when you talk about sex, people listen anyway. But uh, can you imagine the most pure person that ever lived, the most pure human, standing up there and says, I want to tell you about moral purity. And I'm going to tell you how important it is for our society, how important it is for your marriage and for your children. And so they were on the edge of their seats on the edge of their rocks or the edge of the grass there. I mean, they were just listening. Jesus was so different in his teaching. And they had become so used to the convenient truths of the religionists that it seemed rather strict, kind of, that it included such a big swath of actions. And so our wise Lord takes a preemptive strike and he answers before they can even ask. He said, I am referring to heart adultery. You may never actually proceed to the actual act, but it is just as destructive, and frankly, you are just as guilty. Now, folks, this is nothing new. People kind of have this crazy idea that, you know, God only cares about the actions. God cares about the, the attitude behind the actions. Moses could have not been more clear in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and the, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. It just didn't say with your body, with your hands, your feet, your body parts. No, God says it's an inside job. Folks, the Christian faith is a heart religion. And these sexual game playings outside of sacred sex are just simply wrong. And Jesus was saying, it comes to no good end. What is sacred sex? Sacred sex is between one biological man And one biological woman who have been bound together in one covenant marriage for one lifetime. That's what it is. It is devastating to do anything else. Now, Jesus here clarifies where the real issues lie. First of all, the real problem is lust. The real problem really comes down to lust. Sin, when it begins, when it conceives, when it dreams, when it fantasizes, when it begins to roll it over in his mind... It's like a seed that conceives. James chapter 1, verse 15 says, When you let that thought go to seed, you are in dangerous territory. And when lust hath conceived, when it's gone to seed, as I said earlier, when you dwell on it, it will bring forth sin. You can't have a seed that germinates without something happening. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. You're already halfway to sin when lust is given a second thought. Why? Because it really is committing the sin as far as the heart can go without the hands or the feet or the body parts actually doing so. The truth of the matter is the only thing left is for the opportunity to carry out the sin itself. And so the real problem is lust. That's why it's so wrong. Second of all, the real penalty consists in looking that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. Looketh. First of all, that is looking for something. Second of all, it is looking at something. Let's explain. Looking for it, meaning purposely looking for it to happen. You purposely go to a chat room. You purposely send or respond to an instant message. You purposely search pornography. That's looking for something to happen. You're looking, you're trying to make something happen. That's looking for it. Number two, it is looking at it. It is looking at it so long until you lust. It is looking at something so long until you gratify your lust. And by the way, this is not just a male sin, it is a female sin. Now, it may come across a little different, but it's still male and female across the board. In fact, the Bible gives us. A very graphic illustration of that in the book of Genesis, chapter 39, verse number 7. Here we find Joseph having to deal with the lust of his boss's wife. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes. She looked upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Her hormones were raging and she would stop at nothing. That boiling pot was going to just boil over unless they turned the heat down. Jesus said, you look. Now, let me just clarify. Looking or lusting is not just something you do with your eyes. It actually would include any other of your senses. It is looking with one of the sensual gates. And we have more than just our eyes. We have our ears, we have uh, skin and touch. And so there are many avenues or ports of entry That adultery can come. For example, let's talk about the ear for just a moment. Sensual music inflames the passion through the ears. For example, rap music. Researchers have studied rap music. 450 students over a two-year period. Those who listen to rap are 2.6 times more likely to have sex. Experts, and by the way, I don't think it takes an expert, common sense will tell you, that lyrics make teens think that their peers are all having sex. This then encourages them to do the same. It also encourages underage drinking. Teens love to emulate the behavior of their idols. In fact, they call uh, norm—they call rap music a norming agent. Saying it constantly, saying it, makes it seem like it's okay and everybody is doing it. And so, lust then not only comes through the eyes, it can come through the ears as well. All right, number three, not only the command expressed, and number two, the command explained. Now let's get how serious this matter is, the command exemplified. Our human nature objects to this. This just can't be right. It can't be right that it's only... It, it includes more than just the physical act. It's, it just simply can't be that way. How could heart adultery and all this, how could that be wrong? You can't help yourself. Jesus takes a very clear strike against that, against that kind of rationalizing. He said, if you want to win this thing, you've got to do three things. Let me give them to you. Number one, you need to get severe about this. Get severe. Verse 29, if your right eye offends it, pluck it out. Verse 30, if your right hand offend thee, cut it off. Impossible, you say? That's what the people were probably saying. They were saying, what in the world are you saying? Cut my hand off, pluck my eye out. That's ridiculous. No one can do that. Jesus was saying, exactly. If there's no other way then, probably, here's what he's really saying. If there's no other way to control lust... If there's no other way to keep from adultery, then really, probably what you should do is pluck your eye out or cut your hand off. Why would God be so severe on this? He said, basically what he was saying is, it would be far better to go through all of your life with a disability like your hands cut off or blind, but be able to maintain your testimony and keep from the sin and end up going to hell. He said, folks, I'm telling you, going to hell so that you can have an illicit relationship on this earth is crazy. It is not worth it. I mean, let me tell you how drastic this matter is. This life is only 70 years, give or take a few years. That is just, uh, that is not worth it. In fact, he even upped the ante here. He said, your right eye, your right hand to the Jew That is symbolic of the better of the two. He was saying there is absolutely nothing so important as eternal life. And then he says, if it offends you. Notice that word? If your hand or your eye offends you, that's the problem. The word offend there is the Greek word skandalon. S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. Skandalon. And as you might imagine, we get our English word scandal from it. It actually means snare or trap, where they would stick a bait in, the animal would come into the trap, would grab the scandalon. they would grab the bait, and then the trap would fall down on them. He said, look, if your right hand is a baited trap, if your eyes are your trap, then he said, you need to get stringent, unsparing, you need to run, folks, you may have to quit your dream job. If you can't handle that particular person that you got an eye for, you may have to quit your, your gym membership you paid a whole year for, it. but sometimes a real stringent, serious measures need to take place or simply tell yourself you can do this by God's grace. That's what Paul told the church in Philippians chapter four and verse 13. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is tremendous power in Bible memory, going to church, witnessing, serving. You can win this battle, but you need to get severe with yourself. Give up some time, give up some energy, give up some money, give up your reputation, whatever it it takes, get severe and get going. And that leads us to the second thing, get started. Not only get severe, but get started. Verse 29, pluck it out, cast it away, cut it off, cast it away. That's what Paul said. He said, I've learned that the only way to deal with your body is to keep it under. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. I keep under my body. I rule my body. My body doesn't rule me. My mind and my spirit rule my body. I don't let my body say what it's going to do. Paul said, and by the way, this whole context of 1 Corinthians 9 is that of running a race. He said, if you're going to run a race, your body has to be at its peak and you can't let your body OD on anything that's destructive. And if you give yourself to this kind of sin, it's going to ruin your body. All kinds of diseases. In fact, there are studies that show that men and women for that matter, who get into pornography, it literally changes the actual brain waves in the mind. I mean, folks, it is absolutely destructive. I keep my body under, bringing it into subjection, lest by any means I have preached to others and myself, I should be a castaway. How do you do that? Number one, by being careful of your company. Be careful of the people you hang with. You can't lie down with the dogs and not get up without fleas, folks. If you are gas, stay away from those that are matches in this world. And don't listen to this crazy world, all the fake science out there. The Time Magazine recently re- had an article about the so-called fallacy of monogamous marriage. They said evolutionary biology proves of amples, of animals, especially the apes, reasonable models for a more rational mating format. For example, they said it's very natural for females to continue to seek many mates with the best genes. That's what the apes do. And so they said that should form the basis for understanding why infidelity in humans, and by the way, they said human animals is so natural. That's Time Magazine. I wonder how Jesus would have handled that so-called science. I think he would have said, you guys are loony and the toony, man, you guys are out to drink. A little girl asked her mother, how did the human race start? The Christian mother answered, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and so all mankind was made. Two days later, the girl asked her her father the same question. The father answered, well, daughter, many years ago, there were monkeys from which the whole human race evolved. Confused, the little girl turned to mom and said, mom... How is it possible you told me the human race was created by God and dad said they were developed from monkeys? Mother answered, well, sweetie, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family and your father told you about his side of the family. Be careful of your company. Number two, be careful of your cravings. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Folks, I'm not saying we can't enjoy life. I'm not saying you can't live and just live life to the hilt. You don't have to live like a bunch of monks. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is just simply saying, don't let it get out of hand. Maybe our favorite TV deputy had it said best. Barney Fife. You may remember Marnie. He famously ranted this. Nip it in the bud. You've got to nip it in the bud. Nip it. Bud nipping. That's the only way to take care of it. Nip it in the bud. And I say the same thing, folks. Nip it in the bud. Get severe. Get started. Can't you see him saying that? Get serious. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, this part of the message gets very hard. I mean, it just really is. And it's a startling argument. This was a drop the mic moment. Jesus, you want to know how serious this matter is? I'm going to tell you how serious it is. People for an affair, people for some sexual moral impurity will die and be willing to spend eternity in hell over such a thing as this. He said your entire body should be cast into hell. For those who say, I'm just about having fun with my body, do you realize that's only a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years, maybe a couple of decades, but eternity in hell, it's not worth it. Now it'd be very unpopular for a pastor to say, because of your sexual choices, if you do not accept the gospel of Jesus, you will go to hell. But I remind you, those words are not my words; those are the words of the most loving human that ever lived, our Savior Himself. We must not be like those people in Isaiah's time. In Isaiah's time, they did not want to hear the truth. Isaiah chapter thirty and verse ten, which say unto their seers: By the way, that's a good name for someone who's looking at what's going on in the world. Their seers see not, and to the prophets prophesy not unto us right things, prophesy unto us smooth things. That's too rough. Pastor Isaiah, that's just way too rough. Prophesy deceits. We'd rather hear lies than the truth. World-renowned evangelist Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman told this story. He was an evangelist of yesteryear. He told the story of Dr. Howard, a minister from Australia who preached very strongly one day on the subject of sin. After service, one of the church officers came to him and met him in the study and said, Dr. Howard, we love you. We follow you, but honestly, we don't like it when you talk so graphically about sin and openly. Our boys and our girls hear it and we're afraid they're going to become more sinners because you talk so graphically. He said, I feel like you should call it a mistake or something. The pastor quietly listened to him the man, and said, I see. He got up, walked over to a medicine cabinet, was in the office, took down a small bottle, and he said, do you see the label? He said, yes. He said, what does it say down at the bottom there? He says, it says poison if ingested. He said, all right. So what you're telling me to do is to take this bottle, change the label, and put the words peppermint on it. Do you see what would happen? He said, the milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. And today in this world, we don't like to call sin as sin, but you must listen to Jesus' broken-hearted words, strong words. He said, you must not take a chance with your eternal destiny because you want a few more days or a few more hours of sexual sin. In fact, he said, it will be such that would cast the entire body into hell. And it's for what? A few moments? Be a Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Moses, choosing rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God, rather than the pleasures of sin for a season. Folks, if you will look closely at the packaging on that sin sandwich you might be eating you will see very clearly there's an expiration date. The sin and the thrill of sin has a very short shelf life. Stay on the path, Jesus said. You might not only lose your wife or your husband, but your family. may not be able to see your children anymore. Financially, you might be devastated. Find yourself distanced from people around you. In fact, moral impurity just messes with absolutely everything but most of all, our eternal soul. Now, all that being said, folks, all of us, I think, at some time in our life have been or will be guilty of this. But thank God for the mercy of God. There is hope. There is hope. I say with Isaiah this morning in chapter 55, and verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I'm here to testify that God is a loving and forgiving God. All of us, frankly, have a past. But when we come to God and beg for his mercy and pardon, God will reach out to us with his amazing grace. Give your mind to the Lord, and you'll be a wise Christian. Give your time to the Lord, and you'll be a used Christian. Give your money to the Lord, and you'll be a free Christian. Give your body to the Lord, and you will be a powerful Christian. Our heads are bowed, and our eyes are closed. Oh, God, I thank you for this church. Thank you for a church that receives the truth. Now, Lord, all of us, frankly, just find ourselves, Lord, convicted. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pray, Lord, for others. Pray for ourselves. Pray for this nation. Pray for these precious children, Lord, that are being subjected to so much trash in their schools and in the media. Oh, God. We pray, God, that you would make us a holy sanctuary for you and for your kingdom. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I address this congregation and for those of you online, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And He loves you just the way you are. But Thank God He loves you so much, He doesn't want you to stay that way. And by His amazing grace and mercy, He will forgive every sin, wash every sin away, right there. Maybe you're sitting there on your couch or perhaps you're someplace in this world. I want you to know Jesus loves you and so do we. And all that stuff can be gone. All that nastiness, all that dirtiness, clean. Like that woman caught in the very act of adultery. She couldn't believe herself. Jesus said, daughter, your sins are forgiven. They are gone. I am so glad that Jesus still calls us son and daughter, even knowing what we've done. And for those of you that are here, would you just purpose to say, Lord, I want to live a pure life. I want to live, have that moral purity, not only on the outside, but on the inside as well. Let's all stand, if you would please, standing this morning. We're going to begin to sing in just a moment. And if God has spoken to your heart and you want to pray about anything, you just come. You come and say, I want that pure life. I want to be a good testimony. Father, I thank you for this church. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.